What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yeah. Beautiful lady. A beautiful world. What could go?
another day Another time Bang on another night See you around the way Welcome you to Porch Talk. This is your host, Alan. We are at O Elegante Studios in Birmingham, Alabama. I've got Wes McDonald here with me. Wes, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Alan. Yeah, man. It's uh, it's good to have you on the show. Um, I'm a big fan of Cornelius Chapel and a lot of the work is done, and I'm guessing a lot of that work was recorded right here in this room, most of it, right? Uh, a decent amount of it, yeah. But I, would, I don't know if I'd go most of it, but... Yeah, a lot of it. I think you got like uh, I know Will Stewart's. Uh, everything we released by him has been recorded here. And uh, newbie and Jocko and Sarah Lee Langford was recorded here. Uh, the Blips was recorded here. Yeah, now, which is not out yet, but it's yeah. coming. We're gonna drop a new single of that right soon. Uh, yeah. Yeah, probably in the next month or two. We're I just, got you. We're just about to, uh, yeah, launch that project. Cool, man. I can't wait. Inside Out, that was a killer track. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, man. So, man, tell me a little bit about growing up and um, just where, you were, where you're from, where you were yeah. raised. Well, uh, I was born in Arab, Alabama which is about 60 miles north of Birmingham. And I lived there till I was six years old. And then I moved to uh, 
Montgomery because my dad was uh, in politics. Uh, and then uh, I lived there for two years and then moved here to Birmingham when I uh, beginning in third grade, which I think would be, you know, 82-ish, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I lived here, grew up, uh, started playing drums in seventh grade, playing all through high school and cover bands and stuff like that. And how'd you uh, how'd I, you get into drums? I was mainly a drummer. Um, I don't know, really. I just some it just crept up on me, and it's all of a sudden something that just had to happen, you know. Yeah. So dad was in politics. Like as far what about music in the house? Were they music fans? Uh, my dad uh, played the piano, but his and he played it pretty well. Um, but he only knew about like five or six, you know, like show tunes and stuff. Mm-hmm. He was not plugged into popular culture very much at all um funny thing happened between me and my dad my dad always was supportive of me he, he died about five years ago but he was always pretty supportive but he was a very conservative kind of guy mm-hmm. and i was growing up i think i was in my 30s at the time and he kind of confronted me about you know my whole music aspirations and you know quote unquote career and I'd, I'd never been successful at relating to him what exactly I was trying to do mm-hmm. you know because I think he just thinks like, <laughs> he would he would say why do you like all that noise and that racket and it was all you know all they ever say is hey baby baby yeah baby baby hey baby baby yeah baby baby <laughs> <laughs> that's a direct quote and uh <laughs> And I was like, that's, you know, I don't know if you think we're trying to be like, you know, Bon Jovi or the Sex Pistols or where he's coming from with all this. I think he just had a very vague idea of what it was all about. Because uh-huh. he really didn't know. And I said, and I, try, I tried to relate to him. My way of it was to bring up Bob Dylan. I said, look, we're trying to do, because I thought, you know, Bob Dylan is a contemporary of his. Like, mm-hmm. He was probably in his uh, mid-20s or 30s when Bob Dylan hit the scene and became famous. And so I thought, surely, you know, he'll understand, you know, the Bob Dylan connection. So Mm -hmm. I said, Dad, I'm not really trying to be like this or that. I mean, we're trying to do something more like, you know, what Bob Dylan is and what Bob Dylan And he looked at me with a puzzled look and he said who and then I knew at that point that it was pretty hopeless to make the connection yeah you know because if you don't know who Bob Dylan is at this point at this I mean this was you know 10 years 10 15 years ago when we had this conversation so at that point I pretty much gave up and just kind of uh, did my best I mean and I don't want to make it seem like he put a whole lot of pressure on me to do anything else. Yeah. It wasn't like that. But there was we just couldn't ever really connect and I could never really um get him to understand exactly what it was. What uh what, what iteration or or what band at the time were you in that was kind of making him question all that? <laughs> 
Well, there was no questioning. I mean, it wasn't like he was like, come in and sit down, son. We need to talk. About <laughs> yeah. It wasn't like that. It was a pretty casual conversation we were having. And, uh, I mean, I think a Vulture Well was happening at the time. We're probably an album or two in. Mm-hmm. You know, so it wasn't that long ago, but... Um, yeah, and he he did he, one time. He said he was gonna come see us. We playing and it wasn't Vulture. This was before the, but my band at the time was gonna play at that festival in Huntsville. Like their their version of uh, City Stages, I can't remember what it was called, but he he was gonna come see it, and, and he asked me what time my recital started. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. So it was an uphill battle on just the understanding, but he was great, great guy, uh, and supported it. But he just really didn't know what he was supporting. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, and uh, man, I recently picked up your, I guess it's the latest Terry Owens album, and with Curse of the Bat and Sadness. Yeah, yeah. Um, smooth sailing forever. Yeah, smooth sailing forever. That's the one. Um, man, the lyrical content specifically on those two songs. Uh, I would say Bob Dylan-esque, sure. Well, uh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, as far as just talking about, like, what's going on today. Yeah. Uh, and some of the lines that you have in there. Right. Especially uh, Sadness. Uh, I like that I like that song a lot. Thank you, thank that you. That was a good one. But, man, uh, just going back to seventh grade, cover bands and playing in the garages, uh-huh. uh, just to hop back on track, where, yeah. where did it go from there? Um, I mean, I was in seventh grade playing, and uh, Les Newby was – in the band, uh-huh. so I've known him forever. Um, he was playing that Rickenbacker sit, sitting right behind you, that red Rickenbacker. Oh, yeah. He's had that thing for, for as long as I've known. And uh, it was he and I and Michael Seal, who's still my great friend around here, was a singer and long-lost long lost buddy uh, Jim Joyce. Uh, not that he's dead, but he's just... He, moved and he's just one of those guys that moved away and you never saw him again yeah and uh anyway so that was seventh through you know eighth or ninth grade and then was in a couple more bands in high school what was y'all into what was y'all covering well in seventh grade it was like louie louie and wild thing and you know like born to be wild Mm -hmm. and uh uh, some cream, some the doors and stuff like that. You yeah. know, like classic rock. Yeah. But we were playing, we just kind of copied the set list of this band who was older than us, which Michael Seal, who was the singer of our band, his brother was in that band. <laughs> so we go see them and be like, yeah, we should play that one too. You yeah, know? that went over well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We should play uh, Melt With You. So, yeah, man, it was just, we didn't know what we were doing. Yeah. You know, we knew how to sort of act like we knew what we were doing. We didn't know. Yeah. Still no. don't really know if you want to be. What kind of, what part of honest. Birmingham was this? Would it have been in the Homewood area or Mountain Brook or? It was, we all went to uh, Mountain Brook High, junior high. And, uh, yeah. But, you know, I mean. We still don't know what we're doing. I don't, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> what about uh, just as you got older and getting on in the high school? So, was... yeah, I mean, all through high school, I was a drummer. And 
started just dabbling playing the guitar because I figured out pretty quick, like you can only do so much by yourself playing the drums. Right. You know, you can't write us. You can, I suppose, but you're much more apt to come up with actual songs on a guitar. Yeah. And uh, so I picked that up, kind of messed around with it, and then and then started like uh, then it just started like when I was in high school and college, like my mind just kept going to you know, like songs in my head and stuff. There was definitely something that needed to get out. Mm-hmm. It was annoying. You know, it's not like, and I think that's what a lot of people don't understand about creative people sometimes is like, it's not, I mean, we didn't really choose this life, you know, it's sort of is, it's, it's something that annoys you on the inside that needs to, be dealt with mm-hmm. in some way and I'm not saying like I needed to express myself through art and music it's not that it's just, but it's annoying I mean it's like this thing inside of you that it keeps uh, bugging you yeah it's not a um, it's not just oh I think it would be cool to play the guitar and be in a band and you know impress the girls and not have to work for a living Mm-hmm. It's not that really. It's more of a what else can I do? Something inside of you is demanding it. Yeah. You know. And just at the And I think I think most people are like that. And who just, do, who yeah. does this for an extended period of time. I mean, because if, if we didn't have that, we would all just you know, go try to make money like real money somehow some other way, you know. Yeah. Instead of ruining our lives trying to make music <laughs> <laughs> yeah and just with all the different iterations that you have right now with you know the blips um and terry Holmes and other projects that you're involved in i mean that's got to be nice too to be able to step out and like different styles and different. yeah things. yeah i mean i i've really come back uh to the drums lately and it started when uh chris rowell uh asked me to play with him and uh in uh, our our other band, uh, the Lost Controls, which later turned into People Years, and uh, I just really enjoyed it and kind of got back to it because for a long time I really didn't play drums. I was more being a front guy writing songs and playing mm-hmm. the guitar and stuff like that. <clears throat> but I really enjoyed coming back to the drums and uh, trying to get you know, trying to actually hone that craft a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, playing with uh, people years and the blips being the drummer, it's been great. Um, because I, and it's, it's more comfortable for me cause I can really play the drums better than I can do anything else. Yeah. For the most part. Now the, uh, with the songs that you sing, um, are you singing while playing drums? Yeah. Well, the Terry Elms band, uh, that's how we do it. And it really just makes things easier because, you know, if the, you know, the drummer really commands is, is sort of the leader of the band in a lot of ways, you know. Um, and that works great for the Terry Elms band because I'm singing too and it's, it's my material and all that. So I can really uh, lead and 
sort of vocally and from a you know just laying down a laying the drums down you know yeah you can kind of direct traffic a little easier when yeah. you're playing the drums if you know what i mean sure but um uh, anyway what was that what'd you ask me just you know with the different iterations and bands and styles that you're involved in i mean that's got to feel good as far as like yeah as being able to not only be defined for one sound yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, mixing it up is great because it really makes everything else not get stale or, or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm busier than I've ever been right now. I mean, probably in too many bands, to be honest. <laughs> but it doesn't matter now because nobody can play anywhere, really. Yeah. So it's all sort of, I mean, we get together and have some practices and we've been working on a new album with People Years. And we're about to start a new album for the Blips, because why not? Yeah. I mean, we hadn't released the first one yet, but it's coming soon, and uh, we're all just sort of, you know, it's a good outlet, so we might as well, might as well just do another one while we can. Yeah. It seems like uh, a lot of people that I've talked to lately, uh, that's kind of been the thing, is uh, there's one album already out or just released or about to be released but they're already recording and working on the next one yeah i I guess that's just what 2020 has really lent itself to i think so um and you know i mean home people that can do home recording like i record all the terry home stuff in my basement in my house i don't do it here Mm -hmm. um so you know i've always got something something cooking at home I'm not in a huge hurry to get it done, but there's always something going on. If if everything else slows up, I can go back to that if, if the urge hits. But, um, yeah, the variety is great. Uh, I love everybody that's in these bands I'm playing with. So uh, it's, it's a great time. I wish we could get out there and play live. It would be great. Yeah. I, I imagine that will come back one of these days. I don't know, though. I don't know when. Yeah, it's, it when seems... do you think? When do you think you're gonna have like Saturn's gonna open up and have a normal show again? Maybe spring of 2021. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. It, I think it depends on that vaccine, and I don't think that people are gonna trust it. So I don't think they'll take it. Yeah. Yeah, it depends on a lot. But anyway. Yeah. We got time to make more songs and you know build the set list up. I suppose. Absolutely. And just um, moving on from high school, uh, why uh, why college? What did you want to go study? I just went. Uh, you know, it's a good question. If I looking back on it, I wish that if I had to do it all over again, I would not have gone to college directly out of high school. Uh huh. Um, because I was such an idiot at that time. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know anything about anything at the yeah. time. I guess that's how it is when you're 18. I had no idea. I was just an English major just because I didn't know what else to do. And I was a lot better. And I hated math and yeah. stuff like that. You know, I wasn't very good at it. So, and that's just what everybody did. You went to college, you know, if you could. And, um, so... Yeah, but I think there's a whole lot of... I wish I would have waited three years to go to college. Mm-hmm. I actually went and I did okay. <coughs> I was a very average student. 
at best. I went back to school when I was, I think I was like 33, something like that. And I went to UAB. I was going to, I had my mind that I might go get a master's in business, like a, an MBA. And I, I, I never did that. But in, in order for me to do that, I was going to have to have some other class, like a calculus class. Oh, yeah. Right down your alley right there. And I was like, man, all right. <coughs> but the thing is, when you go back to school later in life, when you're an actual adult, I mean, when you're 18, you're really not an adult, I don't think. I don't either. You just, I mean, I wasn't. I was an idiot. But yeah, I think every person's case is a little bit different. You know, some people, it's kind of like the eagle to where, you know, mom and dad pushes you yeah, out. You yeah, know. Yeah. Learn to fly. Good luck. Right, right. And then some people, uh, they don't. They don't have to leave. And, uh, you know, some people want to leave, and some people leave and realize they made a mistake and want to go back. And, right, right. I mean, I think everybody's case is just a little bit unique in that. You're right. But, I, I mean, I was always struggled with math. But I went back, and I had to take this calculus class. And when you go back and in your 30s and you're all grown up, there's no way you're going to do bad in the in that class mm -hmm. i made an a in that class i couldn't believe it you know it's like oh well i actually studied and did all yeah. the things you knew what it took that a grown-up would do yeah you know <laughs> how about <laughs> that <laughs> anyway so yeah i don't know where i was going with all that but um yeah sorry so i went to birmingham southern in uh 92 i graduated from high school in 92 90, so yeah, 92, 93, left there with a band, and we moved to Athens, Georgia that summer, and floundered around, we all lived in this house and worked at a, we worked at this dairy that this temp service got us these jobs in, and then um, one of us left and that was the end of the band. So I didn't know what to do at that point. So I just came back home mm -hmm. and went to Alabama, went to Tuscaloosa and enrolled there. Went there for a couple of years, came back to Birmingham. Uh, cause my dad was a, uh, he was in the U S Senate race when Jeff Sessions was elected. Mm -hmm. And so I came back and helped him on that campaign. And, and didn't go to school for a year. And then after that was over, he didn't win. Obviously, Jeff Sessions won the U.S. Senate race. But uh, I'll tell you another story about my dad, about Jeff. Well, I was driving my, I was driving my uh, dad around Montgomery one time. Yeah. And uh, this was in the middle of the race, and it had gotten to the point where uh, my dad, whose name was Sid, was uh, in the runoff, in the Republican runoff with Sessions for the U.S. Senate seat. At one point, there was like 15 guys running for the, mm -hmm. for the Republican, on the Republican side. But anyway, got down to my dad and Sessions, and so Sessions would not debate. My dad wanted to have a debate with him. You know, and, but Sessions at the time was the Attorney General so he had all the name recognition. He's doing what Tuberville's doing right now. Yeah. Tuberville doesn't want to debate because it can only hurt him. Yeah. 
So same thing. And I said, and uh, we we're driving. I said, Dad, what do you think about uh, what do you think about Jeff Sessions? Like, I mean, have you have you met him or yeah. anything? And I think he's a mousy little shit. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, and it, anyway, that was a, a great moment. But, um, I mean, he, and he was right about that, you know, as we all found out. <laughs> uh, anyway, so, yeah, I, I worked the campaign for a year or so. And really, which really drove home the point of, I do not want to be involved in politics ever. Yeah. It is really awful. Uh, I mean, what people think it is on the outside, how bad they think it is, it's, it's worse uh-huh. on the inside. Um, the, the job From what I, I've seen. The job I have in Starville, um, start with utilities, and uh, it's a municipality uh, utility company. Yeah. And so anytime we have an idea about anything, our hands are already tied by the city council and the mayor, you know? It's... You yeah. go up there, you got a new way that you bring innovation. That we think this will work. Dirty politics. Yeah. It's hard to get make the new ways. It's take hard to play, get anything done. Take man. over the old ways. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's very, yeah. It's frustrating. I mean, and there's not even validation. It seems like, uh, to me, is they'll ask for your opinion on something. Mm-hmm. You'll give it to them. You'll never hear anything back from it. And there's no validation. It's like one ear out the other. Yeah. It's like we just we just ask you because I guess that's what we should do. Yeah, it's all for show. Yeah. Yeah. So just so you can say that it It happened. It happened, right. We gave him the time of day. Yeah. Or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I agree. It's it's dirty. <laughs> we could go on all day yeah. about that. Yeah, I could, I could go on a tubable rant. <laughs> that makes no sense to me. Just riding on a name. Yeah. But And, and that's really keeping peop, good people from wanting to get in and really do something good. Yeah, I agree with that. Anyway. <laughs> so Alabama. I'm no po- political expert, I promise. I, yeah. I just told you about everything I know. <laughs> but, um, okay, so from there... All right, after the campaign, I went to UAB, graduated from college, was playing with a couple guys. Uh, Jake Jocko was a drummer for that with two other guys. Now, this is before Vulture Whale? This is like pre-pre-Vulture Whale. Okay. This is like a couple of bands before that. But I'd known Jake from high school, and we've been friends forever. So then I moved, uh, after graduating, finally from UAB with a very useless English degree. I moved to Athens, Georgia, uh, and lived there for about four years. And this was right about the time, uh, this is probably 1998, seven or eight, I think. Right about the time the whole Elephant Six movement was happening, the, uh, you know, REM had just, you know, Bill Barry had just left REM. I was going to ask about that Athens scene and what it was like at that time. It was good. It was really good. It was very clicky. I had a hard time really, like, uh, I don't know, kind of getting in with the with the cool people or whatever, yeah. you know. But, um, so 
while I was there, uh, there were some guys from Tuscaloosa that I knew. They were also there, Jeff Buckley and Mark Isis. And we started the Ohms. And that's where the name Terry Ohms comes from. I was going to ask you about that. Now, Ohms uh, specifically, is that talking about resistance? Is, or is it just... Yeah, well, uh, the name of our first uh, album was Electrical Resistance. Okay. You know, we just picked the name out of, you know, it sounded good, yeah. or whatever. Uh, and then we had a fiddle player slash bass player named Andrew Heaton, who, uh, he was from uh, Virginia, I believe. But he was in Athens. And uh, we had the Ohms. We did a couple albums with the Ohms. We were probably together for three years or so. Mm-hmm. And I was in this other band over there before that, actually. Before the Ohms. I was in the first band that I ever really... Well, not, not the first one I ever fronted, but... Anyway, and that was called Rotary Styles, and we have an unreleased album. I'll give you that before you leave, too. Okay. <laughs> and um, anyway, so we recorded all that. Uh, I, I recorded all that stuff, the own stuff in my house. And I was, you know, always just learning how to record albums. You know, you listen to them and you're like, wow, this guy, you know, it's okay, but this guy, you can tell, doesn't really know what he's doing behind the console. Yeah. What did that? What, what equipment were you using at the time? Uh Using ADATs and DA88, Tascam DA88s, which was like, and ADATs used like video VHS tapes to record onto, and it's like eight tracks. That's the first thing I ever got that was like digital and you could make it sound really good. I, you know, that was like the step up from having a, a cassette four track. Mm-hmm. So I had that and then moved up to a a couple of DA88s, which were linked together to make 16 tracks. And a DA88 used the smaller videotape. I don't remember what you call those exactly. It's like a mini cassette. I know what you're talking about. It's like a... It's what would go in those little tape recorders. Yeah. Yeah. It was about the size of a cassette, but a little thicker. Anyway, and it was digital tape. It was sort of like a DAT tape, but... uh, like one bigger than that or something. Mm-hmm. And how did you even get into that? How did you learn about that stuff? Um, just by doing and reading and stuff, you know. Yeah. Uh, I went over to my buddy's house in, uh, in Tuscaloosa and recorded on his four-track machine and was like, oh. This is how this happens. Okay, yeah. You know, it's pretty, you know, once you start doing it, it's pretty obvious how the basics work and then you get into the details and you, you know, want to pull your hair out about it. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so, I mean, but the Ohms were very kind of like a sloppy rock band, you know, mm-hmm. with some country and those kind of over and undertones in it. And um, so it sort of like my recording style sort of went well with that band, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like it would have been. It would have really our the album would have probably would have sucked if we would have gone to Nashville and worked in some awesome studio with somebody who really knew what they were doing. That would probably would have ruined the whole vibe. Yeah, you know. Uh, anyway, so we did that, and uh, <coughs> and so Terry Ohms comes from the Ohms. We were all um, we all our, our little Ohms names. So I was Terry. You had Guilty Glenn Ohms. Oh yeah. 
and then he, he was our Catholic, you know, guy that wouldn't drink more than a couple beers and stuff. And then, you know, we got uh, Ron Ohms, which was Andrew, and Jeff Buckley was Lance Ohms. And not that we ever did anything. We just had, like, a couple of – we just kind of clowned around, but whatever. And so when it came time – and that, and all, all along the way, I had sort of been doing my own little Wes McDonald solo mm-hmm. albums. And the first one of those was in 2001. And I got on down the road a little bit, and I just didn't want to use my own name. I mean, I, there's the whole thing, the ohms broke up, and everybody was, like, getting on with their lives and other had to be getting married and all that. Um, and I just really didn't want to use my own name. Yeah, why is that? It just got, because, for one thing, I don't have a name that's, like, marquee-worthy, you know. Okay. My name is just really not that cool when it comes to, you know, putting it on the front of a record or on a marquee or something like that. And that's all right, you know. Uh, so I, I was like, well, you know, I got Terry Elms. That's pretty cool. That's a lot cooler anyway. So I just went with that. Yeah. And it was a good time. And the first uh, the first release I had was an EP, and it was called Terry Elms Plays Wes McDonald. And I came up with this whole story about that Terry is this guy who lives in Alaska that Wes met when he went up there to Alaska to go fishing and met him at the, some bar and they got to talking about music and blah, blah, blah. And so the whole setup of that EP is that this is, these are, you know, Terry and Wes sort of playing on the same album, like this some sort of collaboration, uh-huh. fictional collaboration. Yeah. But it really, and, and there's a whole little story inside the CD and stuff about how it all, I mean, you know, Terry has a dog named Sammy, this Alaskan Malamute, and this whole thing. And it's crazy. A lot of people bought that whole thing as if it was real. It's a real thing. I mean, people would come around to me going, who is this Terry guy? I mean, are y'all going to play at some point? Is he going (laughs) to... Yeah. (laughs) You just saw it. Yeah. (laughs) It's me. Yeah. It's it's it was I you know I really wasn't trying to fool anybody. Yeah. You know I thought you know this is just you know slightly funny and maybe you know it'll be entertaining for some people. I didn't think people would buy the whole story like it was yeah. not fiction. But anyway, a lot of people did. It was weird. It was funny. And I just rolled with it for a little while, but you know, as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh and then anyway, so, in Athens, the ohms happened. A couple other things happened there. It was a good time. We got somewhat of a rock and roll education. Came back to Birmingham. Started playing with... Uh, uh, I wanted to put together a, a new band. and I called Jake. And... Drew... Drew Davis was involved for a while. Um, and we went down to South by Southwest in 2005 or six or something. I somehow got into the festival just as Wes McDonald, the solo guy. Mm-hmm. And we played that festival and it was fun. And that was, that was a learning experience too about what all goes on down there. But anyway, ended up going back several times. That give you a little notoriety nationwide? Not really. Not really. I mean, those things, 
if you don't uh, if you aren't playing the right places at those things, you just get lost in the mix, and yeah. it's like it never happened really. Um, if you go if you go do one, it's only worth it if you really have some good shows set up that you know are going to be you know might make a difference. Yeah. But it was a learning. It was one of those learning things. Like, oh, I didn't know all this existed, and this is how this works, and uh-huh. you know, and oh, so the, our show was at nine o'clock on a Wednesday night. You know, yeah, sets you right up for success. Yeah, yeah. And we just had that one show. Now, now it's like you get to play two or three. That's times. not worth it. Yeah. You know, I didn't know that at the time. Yeah, you, you need to have like five shows lined up. Yeah. You know, with all the parties and stuff. Anyway, so we came back, and um, after that, I don't remember exactly how it happened, but anyway, me and Les and Jay got together, and we brought on Keelan Parrish, uh, who, like, me and Les and Jake knew each other, but Jody from Through the Sparks... I was asking him, I was like, you got any bass players? I'm looking for a bass player who can, you know, maybe tour a little bit and do mm-hmm. some stuff. And he recommended Keelan, and Keelan ended up being the greatest dude and still one of my best friends and all that. And um, and we just, the four of us, started going, and it was great, you yeah. know? At the time, we were Wes McDonald and the Fizz. We were still playing a bunch of my old stuff and all that. It was sort of my solo band. And then I was like, man, I, I got to ditch this Wes McDonald thing. And wouldn't it be cool if we were just all a band? If it was just a band. Yeah. And so before we released the first album, you know, we were like, all right, we got to come up with the name of the band. And uh, we went to Los, Los Angeles because Les was living out there at the time, uh-huh. or at least a lot of the time. And uh, he had he knew somebody who could mix the album and, so we all just went out there anyway and to have the album mixed and we came up with Vulture Well and we settled on that which is not the greatest name in the world because it's just hard to say mm-hmm. you know like Vol when you're when the first syllable of your band name is Vol it just it just doesn't flow you know what I mean yeah gets misheard a lot but whatever yeah Culture Well is it Culture Culture Dale? Yeah. You know. Yeah, I saw that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then it, it just doesn't even matter anymore, as you know. I mean, like, after a while, it, <coughs> you don't even think about it. But whatever. So, yeah, after that, uh, so Vulture Well, we, we did, what, five albums? And, um, you know, along that way, we all getting married, having babies, life getting complicated, sort of had not really gotten over that hump. We had done a decent amount of touring, but things were starting to come up in all of our lives where that really wasn't going to be something we could do a lot of anymore. Mm-hmm. We made a couple of more albums. Jake and I got involved in a business venture outside of music. And it just slowly sort of fizzled, and we were going to make another album, and we just couldn't ever quite get everybody together. And 
and it really wasn't any anything like there was no blow ups or any of that kind of yeah, thing. It's just wife it's just and like, kids, right? Maybe we've already done everything we're gonna do. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe we've mined our mind for all that it's gonna give us. You know, is that where the business venture came from? That mindset. Uh, I mean, after and we had gone down and played at South by Southwest and had some sort of miserable times, just as far as disappointing and you know, because you get you can get all hyped up for something like, and this takes this is a hard hard one to learn because you don't want to learn it because you know you got to temper your expectations in this this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Or you just like disappointment after disappointment. So we had several of those, you know. We just never quite got over the hump. Had some great shows. I'm not, you know, there were some huge highlights for us along the way that were great. But I think from a creative standpoint, we just got to a point where it just, we weren't producing anything really new to us, you know. Mm-hmm. It was starting to be, oh, let's we're sort of doing the same thing over now. Yeah. And um, I think everybody sort of felt that. And at least I like to think everybody sort of felt it. So we called it. Which one day we just uh, we got together and uh, just called it. And I think, I don't know, I think there was some relief there. Um, but I think that, you know, like now Jake is releasing... Yeah. Solo album, and which he had never done before. I'm so happy for him that he's doing that. I don't mind the band splits when things happen like that. Right, right. Is uh, one of my favorite bands from Memphis, Star and Micey. Of uh, four guys, it was uh, Nick Redman, Joshua Cosby, Jeremy Stanfield, and Jeff Smith. And every now and then they'll have a Star and Micey show because it was a fairly beloved band in the Memphis yeah. scene. Right. But every one of them is involved in their own thing. And yeah. It's, equally good it's just where they are in their life right now exactly exactly and and it was, that's kind of how, how it was i mean we we did pretty well around here you know yeah but it was uh we just never broke out of here really not really anyway uh, you know and les has gotten he's just released his first solo album and he's got a ton of and he had done holiday gunfire and you know it's great, which is all great stuff. And Keelan's playing with Sarah Lee, and uh, you know, I still feel like you know we didn't really break the family up. You know, yeah. we're just all doing different stuff. We all still love each other. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure we'll do something else again as a unit. Yeah. One of these days. Yeah. Once as it comes. Once we're done with all of our, you know. Once we get all, all this other bullshit out of our systems, you know. Yeah. Well, man, tell me a little bit about Cornelius Chapel. Uh, yeah. Um, so Cornelius Chapel was started by uh, Scott Zapardo and Elliot McPherson. Elliot, uh, as you know, is the Dexatines guy. Mm-hmm. And Scott is a music writer and music enthusiast and incredibly knowledgeable about all things uh, music. Um, he lives in New Jersey, and, and he uh, was the sort of de facto manager of the Dexteens for a while. And he and Ellie got together and 
started the label and it was mostly for the Dexatines, you know, mm-hmm. so they could kind of release their own stuff. But they also would put out some Bohannons and, and, and released a, a Vulturewell album. Mm-hmm. They re- released our last album, Aluminium. Um, and then that was right about the time that I, Jake and I were getting out of, out of the business, uh, we started and I was looking for something to do really. And I just asked Scott and Elliot, I was like, I appreciate y'all, you know, releasing our album and all this, but you know, your website really sucks. <laughs> <laughs> You couldn't find the album like on release day. Yeah. It was like <coughs> three or four clicks away. Yeah. You know, it was hidden, like buried in the website somewhere. So, can I just, uh, you know, do a Squarespace? I'm not some web developer guy. Yeah. But I know how to use Squarespace. And I thought that I could do better on Squarespace than whatever they had going on at the time. So, like, yeah. And so I did. And, they were happy with it, and and I said, "Well, you know, who who's like running this show? Like, who? What do y'all?" And they're like, "Well, nobody really. I mean, we don't really, we don't have really have time for it. Not really." Um, I said, "Well, you know." So I just sort of inched my way in, and and then they finally asked me if I wanted to just kind of come in and do the thing mm-hmm. after I was done with the other business I was doing. So I just came in and, you know, my whole goal was just to try to make it a legit label, mm-hmm. you know, and not before it was sort of a vanity label, sort of like a part-time label. Um, there really wasn't much that had been figured out as, as far as how to run a label, you know, and I didn't know either at the time. Mm-hmm. I hated all this stuff. Still, I, I still hate it. I don't, I really don't want to run the label you want to know the truth (laughs) but somebody needs to yeah and i have time on my hands to do it so i'm doing it and it's been difficult in a lot of ways it's just difficult you know once you know how to do something doing it is easy right right it's the it's the figuring out how to do it and how to do it the best and how to do it better after that that's hard and I'm, we're still in that phase. I mean, I've been doing this for two years-ish, maybe a little more, mm-hmm. and definitely figured out a lot of things, but still there's some there's some mountains to climb for sure to yeah. make it what I'd like to see it become, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Uh, but we have good distribution now, and, you know, it's it's really a money thing. We need money to spend on promotion and everything else i'd love to be able to print a bunch of vinyl for every release we have but yeah you know the money's just not there for all that yeah well man the uh the shirts and the slogan uh i love that we never heard of you either yeah that's scott zapardo came up with that (laughs) (laughs) and the logo was created by tim cornell from uh results of adults if you know them they'll have an album coming out soon uh, Results of Adults is the weirdest band in Birmingham. And, I've never heard of and them. And one of my favorites, too. 
I have to check them out. Yeah. So they got an album coming out soon? Yeah, they have a Halloween. Well, I don't want to call it a Halloween EP because it's a spooky seasonal EP, you know, that's out now called uh, The Unborn. Okay. Just a, it's just a digital release. Uh, they're, they'll have a new album coming out um, next year. I don't think we've set an absolute date yet, but first quarter of next year, they'll have a full length out. Then you got um, the Blips coming with an album, first quarter next. First quarter is busy. I'm, I'm dreading the first quarter. It's gonna be, boom, boom, boom. Yeah, boom. it's gonna be. I mean, I'm excited about it, but it's gonna be a lot. You got uh, who else we got? I always forget. Alabama Slim. We got an album coming out on him in January. Uh, blues local or Alabama blues legend Alabama Slim it's going to be great real excited about that uh, who else we got uh, Jocko and Will's both working on new ones Jocko and Will well, Jocko just came out with one right Dose Dose so we're going to have Trace coming up uh, probably knowing him soon and then uh, Will's at work on one. Janet Simpson mm-hmm. has a great album. I'm so excited for her album to come out. Uh, Will this be her first one? I think it's her first solo album. Okay. She's been involved in a lot of projects in the past where it was sort of her her thing. But I think this is the one that, you know, I mean, like Timber and... Timber and uh, she plays with Will Stewart and mm-hmm. Delicate Cutters from back in the day but yeah so she's gonna have her I think it's her first solo album she, she can correct me later but I'm pretty sure that's true it's great and uh, I really can't wait for people to hear that uh, we've got a band from Athens called Hunger Anthem coming out next year I'm excited about that uh, there's somebody I'm leaving out, but um, yeah. Anyway, cool. Just just to walk it out the door, man. Um, yeah, a little bit more uh, with Birmingham Supergroup, the Blips, and yeah. Um, I know y'all started what late 2019. I, I'm just curious, is like where did that where did that idea come from, and like how did that come together? Well. Uh, I believe it was Will Stewart and Taylor Hollingsworth just talked about starting a project together. Mm-hmm. And they asked me if I wanted to play drums, and I said, of course I do. And from that, I think it was like, let's find somebody to play bass and maybe this other. And, and then uh, Chris McCauley and Eric uh, came in. I think Will or Taylor asked them in or whatever and that that was it um, and I didn't know Chris or Eric at all to start with I knew Chris and I mean I knew Taylor and Will good I didn't know the other two guys at all I had no idea what to expect I, I knew their music and their yeah. reputation and all that and thought great sure let's, let's go for it and it really worked out well I mean we all got in the same room and didn't know. I didn't know what was going to happen. 
Because really, you have like five front men that just started a band. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So I'm playing drums in the band, and everybody else is like a, you know, badass guitar player. And uh, they switch off playing bass and singing and, and everything. But it came together real fast. Like when we got in the room and started just banging them out, it's like, here's a song. Yeah, sure. Bam, bam, bam. How about we do this here? All right, cool. Move on to the next one. You know, it was crazy. <laughs> yeah. It shouldn't be, you know, I hate to say that it was sort of too e- easy. Easy. Yeah. I don't know. I don't remember if it was uh, Will or Taylor. Uh, we were talking about it. I think it was Will. He was like, it was, it was almost, it almost felt unfair how, he, <laughs> <laughs> how, he, how easy it came together. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I y'all mean, had already done all the homework and y'all were ready, but like you said, not really, haven't really worked with Well, everyone. I think, I think one thing that made it easy is we all said, okay, let's try to make the songs, you know, pretty straight for, let's don't kill ourselves trying to arrange you know, complicated music here. Mm-hmm. You know, let's be pretty straightforward and not um, try to do too much. And so I think we kind of let ourselves off the hook from the beginning in that kind of way, you know. Mm-hmm. But then when you get into it, you get into the details, and it, it all all the details happen anyway, you know. But it just, it just, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. It just happened. It, things just happened. We don't know how they happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool, man. Anything else to uh, plug or talk about? I think that's got I don't it for me. Know. I mean, no, I don't guess not. That was a lot. I probably probably told you more than you wanted. <laughs> no. Well, Wes, thank you so much. Thanks, man. Alan. Yeah. Cool. News and notes. Thank you so much for listening to Porch Talk. If you haven't done so already, I would ask that you would rate and review the show. On whatever app it is that you listen to on, tell your buddy. Share it. Um, you're all I have as far as getting the word out. Uh, it's a big part. Oh, I, could, I can share it on my own, but I can only go so far. And y'all do a great job. So thank y'all uh, for what you do in that regard. As far as music, uh, both tracks will come off. Terry Ohm's Smooth Sailing Forever. The opening was Get Together. And the closing track will be Curse of the Bat. Uh, when I met Jaco, he passed on a Vulture Well record to me. You might remember the Jaco episode from not too long ago. And so I'd already spent some time with Wes McDonald's music. And as I got more familiar, Terry Holmes and some of the other works he's been involved in, such as The Blips, um, People Years, and The Lost Controls, The Ohms. Um, got to pick his brain more uh, because Wes shared with me a, a lot of music. And so it's been fun in the car, swapping CDs out and getting to pick his mind in that way. But we are uh, focusing on Smooth Sailing Forever with this episode as far as the music. All right, guys, uh, that's going to do it. Here is Curse of the Bat. <laughs> Tell me how do 
way you deal with the curse of the bad You still don't think that it's real While it's crawling up your back We'll be talking about the cruel world we don't understand While we're filling up the cemetery Do all that we can To cuss it back to hell
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.